Good morning. It is uh, good to be uh, here together again. And uh, I, was, I was here at the beginning of this uh, series on five investments. And uh, today we are concluding uh, this uh, month focusing around uh, uh, kingdom investments. And uh, so I'm uh, glad to be able to be here uh, once again. Uh, the one thing I just wanted to acknowledge as a part of having shared earlier in the process and then now uh, concluding it, uh, uh, had a chance to, to listen to some of Jeff's input. And I just realized again the gift that God has given your pastor in digging in and uh, opening up the Word of God. Uh, in fact, after I listened uh, to last week's message, I thought, you should just preach. <laughs> uh, and I, just a, a recognition of... Yeah, yeah. But just a recognition of the, of the, of the gift that uh, God has given Jeff. And uh, with those who have already expressed appreciation, Jeff, I'm blessed and honored to watch God using you in the context of a local body. And uh, you're not my pastor, but in Pastor Appreciation Month, still express my appreciation for the ways in which you pray, read the word, and diligently seek to God to lead uh, this congregation the way that God would call them to be. Bless you. On the first Sunday of this of October, uh, I shared a bit about uh, the, that first of the of the five kingdom investments around uh, the spiritual investment, and again an appreciation to those who spent time. Was it Kathy that did this up front here? Uh, appreciation for the the visual. I, I, I think visuals are so important for us to kind of link into and connect with. What is this really talking about? Um, but spiritual investment, which, as Jeff and I talked about it, we identified as the most important of the investments. We don't often think about it. Often we think about investment, we start with financial, which is where I'm going today. But really, the, the, from the, the side of the kingdom, in some ways it's turned upside down. And what's most important is how am I investing into that place of spiritual, uh, spiritual uh, uh, maturity and growth and walk with God in that uh, and the question that really was asked in reference to that was, how much spiritual equity do I have to invest? How much, how much have I allowed God to deposit in me spiritually that I can invest in others? Um, and where are the places that I can grow in that? Now, we're back already in the initial uh, sermon, so I'm not going to talk more about that one. But just a reminder that the last three weeks, Jeff talked about uh, relational investment, how much relational equity. How much, how much have I invested into others and kind of equity do I have to be able to sow into people's lives? How am I connected relationally, both within the body of Christ and, of course, beyond that in the sense of the places where God has given us connections? Uh, and uh, the, the currency, of course, there is family and friends, the, the, the arena of, of, of uh, the circle of, of influence. Physical investments, how much time and energy do I have to invest in the kingdom? Of course, the currency is ours and our health. Am, am I able to give to the kingdom? Do I have time? Or is my life so packed that I'm like, I'm not sure I have any kind of physical time to be able to invest in the kingdom because I'm, I'm occupied with other things. Uh, last week, Jeff talked about uh, the intellectual investment, the whole thing of creativity and knowledge that I have to invest in the kingdom. What has God given me that I now can invest back in the kingdom? And so today, then, we talk about um, looking at financial investments but before we do that, just uh, again a reminder, we were looking at this from the, from the window and the perspective of the five ways in which Jesus invested everything he was for the glory of the kingdom of God. He did this in a way 
that sowed into the lives of others and also exemplify what it means to be investing in what matters to the kingdom. If he did this, how can you and I grow as disciples, as followers of Jesus, who are learning to invest in each other and in each of these areas, using and investing the capital that God has given us um, in each of these areas? God wants us to grow in each of these areas. And I'd like to share just to start off with here a story that happened to me last night, to Brendan, myself. Um, uh, we were at a, restaurant, a local restaurant. We were there with her parents. Uh, some of you know uh, Roy and Ada Burkhart. Um, we were there with Roy and Ada at a restaurant. And seated there, and a young waitress came, and she, uh, took, our, she took our, uh, our, our drink order. Um, and as she took that order, I noticed that she had a tattoo on her forearm. It would have been on her right forearm. Those things catch my attention now. Uh, a lot of things catch my attention. I feel like God's teaching me to be attentive to everything that is happening around me, even tattoos. And the second time she came back, uh, after getting our drink order, I sensed that, uh, that I was to ask her what was the meaning of that particular tattoo. Um, and this is, this is what was, was on, that, on her forearm. That was written there, and I asked her that question, and I'll tell you a little bit more about that in a second, so you don't have to try to figure that out. I'm just using that as a visual here. Um, It was in script. It was hard to read. Of course, it was on her forearm, and it was kind of tilted down, so I could see it was written, but I couldn't, I wasn't going to go like that, you know, um, trying to to, to read that. And so I simply asked her uh, about what that was. She began to tell her story. Some of it was about this, but really her story was, I'm a recovering addict, so here is in the restaurant, myself, my wife, and, and in-laws, and she's talking about being a recovering addict. And she said, I've struggled for years with addiction. I was too proud to ask for help. And she said, but recently I realized I can't change myself. I need a higher power because without that I'm helpless and on a path to hell. And then she told me what that tattoo was about and what it meant uh, really, that tattoo in that context said, uh, Facilis Descensus Averno, would be, it's Latin, I'm not a Latin scholar, but really in that context, and really you can see it very lightly there, but the descent into hell is easy. That was what she had on her, on her arm. I thought, that is really fascinating. But what she told me is, the path of least resistance is to go with the path and the way in which it's, it's easy to go. And she was looking at that from the, from the lens of her addiction saying, I could most easily choose to stay in that addiction. And then she went on to talk about being six months now away from that addiction, just, you know, delighted to be able to share it with someone. And share it, you know, we were probably talking, what, for five minutes, kind of interacting there as she was, as she was taking our order. Talked about the suffering that her seven-year-old son has gone through as a result of that. About that victory of being clean for, for six months about relying on a higher power through her, her AA, and with that, saying, but I've chosen God as my higher power. That's who I'm, who I'm trusting in. I'll call her Jennifer. That's not a real name. But I realized as I went away from that place, Jennifer is deeply loved by God and has encountered God in a very profound way. She has value and worth. She has a deep struggle. And she has tattoos. Now, I'm... I, I'm you know, that we could get, this could get onto another whole subject because at times we don't talk about those things in church. But I looked at it and I think I asked the question. I, be, I was troubled in my mind as I thought about that because I think back on how I used to judge people for many things 
tattoos being one of them, but the reality in that context that actually this tattoo was a testimony of her commitment to walk with God and her desire to walk with God. It was also a touch point for us to be able to talk about it. And if I wasn't open to that kind of conversation and I wasn't ready to go there, very easily I miss an opportunity. We miss opportunities in this context really for the relational investment, but really it's kingdom investment into a context. And we told Jennifer as we, as, uh, uh, after she had shared, we would pray for her. As we bowed for our meal, after we received our food, we just we prayed for her. And I just, I want to encourage us today when we think about investment that at times it's going to require investing in a place or context that we wouldn't have imagined. But it's in a place and a context where God's deep love is being expressed to another person and he's inviting us into that space to partner with him, to walk with him in that. Before we step into the context of our passage for today, let's just pause and invite the Spirit of God to open up our minds and our hearts. Lord, today, as we stand here together, and uh, you know the real person uh, that we call Jennifer, you know the context she's in, and we speak blessing, we speak empowerment, we speak your presence over her, and ask that you'd use her to impact many people for the kingdom. We also confess our tendency to judge others and to rule out opportunities for kingdom investment based on our mindsets or ways that we think. We repent of that and ask God that you would open up our hearts in new ways to receive and to walk in the way that you want us to. And we also ask God that you'd bring fresh insight into our midst today, fresh revelation as we share together. In the strong name of Jesus we pray. Amen. So today's, today's uh, message, uh, kind of uh, the last one of these, is really financial investment. Uh, and I, I titled this Using Our Financial Capital. In other words, we're actually using, investing our financial capital, the place in which we've been given stuff. The question around this particular of, of these five investments is, how much treasure do you have to invest in the kingdom? And the, the, the truth in this one is that the currency really is Money, dollars and cents, it's, it's, it's the stuff that God has given us. How much do we have to invest in the kingdom? And in truth, when we think about the kingdom, what really are financial investments? How do we make financial investments that are really kingdom investments? You know, we all desire, say we desire to treasure Jesus, and I believe we desire to treasure Jesus and his kingdom, but we are so often stuck in seeing things from the perspective of this world. And the financial realities of this world drive us and easily skew our perspective on what kingdom financial investment looks like. When we look at Jesus in the context of his... Jesus talked a lot about money. In fact, I find it interesting. I'll make a note about this later on. Even in the context of parables, there just seems to be this almost consistent way in which God is using money, the investment arena as a part of, of, of communicating uh, real messages. Jesus' message wasn't complex. Like I said, he often spoke in parables, and the message itself was straightforward. Uh, when I was here before, we talked about this, and I'm, if, in this particular uh, passage, we probably have referred to a couple of times. You might have, most of your messages at least, referred to this one. Because at the core of this, this is this concept of heavenly treasure, and we're trying to grasp what that looks like. Jesus said, don't store up treasures here on earth where moth 
uh, where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires, the desire of your heart will be also. And that's an interesting phrase because at the core, what it really means, whatever you treasure, whatever you worship, whatever matters for you, that's the place you're going to end up. That's the context that you're going to be investing in because it flows out of the heart. I think uh, Peterson, uh, Peterson, the context of the message, says the place where your treasure is is the place you will want most to be and you will end up being there. An interesting reality of kind of where, where our heart leads us. The reality of, 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 the, of how we do this is really the question, and it requires an understanding about kingdom economy. The kingdom economy, the currency of heaven, as I would say, is really grace seasoned with love. It's extending grace to people and not living with this posture of judgment on other people. It's grace to enter into places where we have connection and a relationship with people. And the first entree, the first, if you think about a, a, you know, a, a French meal and there's all these servings and all these courses, the first course is grace seasoned with love. And too often as a church, our first entree hasn't been that grace seasoned with love. It's been either accusation or judgment to others because they don't look like we do, they aren't They don't necessarily talk the way we do, and we don't create a context where we're actually sowing with kingdom investment into other people's lives. And as we extend grace and love into the lives of others around us, and I think even uh, the, the Jennifers that we don't know yet, spending the currency of heaven, these actions begin to sow kingdom seeds into the lives of others. And when kingdom seeds are sown, they will always bear fruit. The challenge is whenever I, whenever I sow something, and I'm thinking now financially, working as a realtor for the first time in my life uh, as my bivocational work, I'm like, I, I think differently because what I do makes a difference in terms of what kind of returns I get. How I invest in people's lives, how I nurture connections and relationships, how I do that in a healthy way. Because if you, if you are in any business and the way you approach, especially as a sale, on the sales side, if you come on too strong, people are like, go away. I know what you want. You want me to help you buy a house or sell a house. Go away. So it's really nurturing that in a, in a healthy sort of way. But I'm doing it because I know that doing those things, and even just this week, working for a long time with a, a client from New Jersey, and all of a sudden everything fell apart, and they went to South Carolina and bought a house. And I was like, man, I just invested a lot in that relationship, in that context, and I have zero to show for it. Now, I use that as an example because the reality is in the kingdom, whenever you sow, there will be fruit. But here's the, here's the, the key, or I'll call it the kicker for us because we like to see results. You may never see the results of your investment. And this is where kingdom investment looks different because in kingdom investment, we have to actually recognize that there is a faith that is a part of this. That it is saying, as I respond in these investments in the way that is on God's heart, he is going to use it. But I don't necessarily, and probably actually shouldn't, get the credit for it. Because it's about him. It's about his kingdom. And yet when we're wired within the context of the way this this world thinks about investment, our challenge is, is that when we don't see it the way we want to, we're like, it didn't work. I don't know what will happen with the encouragement and the blessing and the prayers for Jennifer that happened from last night. 
And it's likely that I will never know. But I believe it was a kingdom investment. And so being able to change the way we look at things to recognize when I'm investing in the, the, the heavenly investments that he talks about, they're ones that I don't get to manage or even see the results. But I'm simply partnering with God in what he is doing. I'm interested in us uh, taking some time just to, to unpack uh, one of Jesus' parables as a way of looking at this today around financial investment. And uh, in a minute here, you can turn with me to Luke 16. Uh, actually, let's turn there now because actually I'm going to refer to some stuff around that. But turn with me to Luke 16, which is our text for today. And this has been used at least once, maybe twice already in this month. Is that right, Jeff? Because, again... It's all woven together in terms of what's happening because any one particular situation isn't one investment. It's one, in a sense, leading the way for the purpose of the others being uh, others happening. You look in in Luke 16, and we'll be we'll be looking at the 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 account of the parable of the shrewd manager. But it's interesting to note if you look one chapter before that in Luke 15, the first verse reads this way: Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. It sounds, a little in, it sounds a little familiar in the sense of how we tend to judge easily those who kind of aren't in the inner circle. And the, and the Pharisees did this. What is Jesus doing hanging out with people that are no good? Because Jesus loves them. I, w- I was struck by this, Mary, as you were sharing this whole thing. If we could just grasp how much he loves us. And you weren't saying that as us as an East Pete church, though you were speaking to us. You were really talking about that from the context of saying he loves the world. If the world could just grasp how much Jesus loves them, it would be part of that investment beginning to be planted. And we are the first line of contact to God for the world. How are we doing at helping to rightly represent a God who loves so deeply? So this begins kind of a series of, of, of parables here from the, the, the parable really about three lost things, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. And I, and I thought about this in this context that really, in the context of this particular passage, the lost sheep is the one about the eternal value of repentance for a sinner as set and as set almost over and against righteous people who, are, who already know the truth. So there's this sense of there is a value in the kingdom, not of lesser for those who are already walking with God and moving toward righteousness, but this sense of value in the kingdom for those who do not yet know. It's just there. It doesn't mean we're less valuable because we've already encountered. It's just a kingdom principle that is there. The second one, of course, the lost coin, using earthly currency, a lost coin representing lost humanity and the great rejoicing with one sinner coming to the saving knowledge of Jesus when the, and, and repenting. And the interesting comparison then in lost son, a comparison of a lavish spending, again, earthly currency, by the lost son, and the lavish spending of grace, the heavenly currency, by the Father. It's interesting that something related to money shows up in two of those, and the next one we're going to look at in 16, it's also there. So that part of the financial aspect of what is a part of these parables, it's woven in. To each one of these. And that brings us then to chapter 16. And before I start to read here, um, just a, 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 a side note, most translations 
uh, at least my NIV doesn't have this, but most translations that are more from the actual uh, would be kind of uh, the, the, uh, kind of the word-for-word translation of what's there. They would actually begin with Jesus also told the disciples that this would be a continuation of what was happening in 15. Um, and uh, it, as we read it, that, that'll become, I think, more apparent. These are all connected. So 16, starting in verse 1. Jesus told his disciples, There was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him and asked him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, What shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do. So I know what I'll I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each of his master's debtors. He asked the first, How much do you owe my master? 800 gallons of oil, he replied. The manager told him, Take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 400. And then he asked the second one, How much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. And he told him, Take your bill and make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, Use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who who will trust you with with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The Pharisees, who loved money, heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. And he said to them, You are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of men, but God knows your hearts. What is highly valued among men is detestable in God's sight. as I read through this passage numerous times this week, was impressed again with this context again where it's clear Jesus is speaking to the disciples, but the Pharisees are on the fringes listening and waiting for a way to be able to trap him. And this happens again and again and again. Looking for a way to somehow say, aha, you don't do it the way we believe you should do it. And the way that we now live out the, not just the, the, the Ten Commandments, but what had become the oral tradition, which was the Mishnah. Volumes of books that told you how to go about doing what you're called to do. And so in this mixed crowd, there's a recognition of the, 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 the group that Jesus is addressing. And it's, so I, that would be the first thing I just note from this passage. It's important to know whom Jesus is addressing in this parable. The parable is for the benefit of the disciples, but there is also a, as I said, not-so-subtle critique of the Pharisees. If you look again at verse 14, uh, that context is really Luke's commentary on the motivation of the Pharisees. Verse 14, the Pharisees, commentary, definition, who loved money 
heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. The posture of the Pharisee's heart. And then verse 15 is really the Lord, Jesus, condemning their motives. And he simply says, You are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of men, but God knows your hearts. And simply a statement here, what is highly valued among men is detestable in God's sight. Kingdom economy and investments and heavenly economy investments, there isn't, there isn't a, there is a radically different way in which they're played out. And yet much of the way we look at things when it comes to treasure, and I'm talking particularly about our, our money and the things we have, we tend to look through the lens of the world because it's what it's what's modeled for us. It's what's out there. It's what we understand. The second thing from this passage that caught my attention was that there are quite a few of the five investments that we could identify in this parable. Clearly, there is at some level an investment of intellectual capital that's used by the shrewd manager, right? I mean, he's got some, some wisdom here, albeit not in a way that I would say we should model, to think of how am I going to work with this situation uh, for my benefit. He's using that capital, but he's investing it for selfish purposes. And then there's, of course, the relational capital that is there with the people that he knows. He's using that. And there's also, of course, the financial capital to use that to ensure friendship, even if he's using somebody else's finances for that. But probably the thing that caught my attention the most as I spent time in this passage is that the reality in most of Jesus' parables, the main character is either a representative of God or some other positive character, like somebody that is demonstrating something we're supposed to follow in that context. In this one, the steward and the man's possessions he managed are both at some level unrighteous characters. And that should alert us to something here, to the fact that Jesus is not exhorting us to emulate the behavior of the characters, but is trying to expound on a larger principle. And the question here is, what is that larger principle? So let's, let's look together at verse 9 here. I'm reading now from the, Living Trans, uh, the New Living Translation here. And in that context, it's written this way. It says, here's, here's the lesson. Here's the lesson. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and to make friends. Then when your possessions are gone, they will welcome you into an eternal home. I pondered that some more because that's at the core of this teaching. And what is Jesus trying to say? And I believe Jesus is encouraging us, his followers, to be generous with our earthly wealth, with our money and with our possessions, so that in the life to come, we will be welcomed because we have invested in what really matters, in other people and in heavenly currency. There's a sense of this isn't about me, but it is about him and about the things that matter to him. In a lot of ways, this makes almost no sense to what I call the carnal mind, and that's a word used out of the King James. But really, the carnal mind means that my mind has its attention on the things of value in this world. But to be, quote-unquote, shrewd as stewards of the kingdom investment, we must be investing all that we have, and especially our financial investment, in the things that build the kingdom and not our own kingdom. 
Now, just the sheer fact that we live in this context, that message hits me and hits all of us at a level where, like, we live in the most wealthy nation in the world, and most of what we're talked about is focusing on how are you preparing for retirement, how are you doing this. And I'm not saying that those aren't important things. The reality is, I think we have to ask ourselves the question, so what do you want us to do, Lord? How do you want us to live? Because somehow it has to be different than that which is outlined or framed from the perspective of the world. Proverbs 10, 2 says it this way. Again, reading from the New Living Translation. Tainted wealth has no lasting value, but right living can save your life. Where we invest, how we invest, and in what things we invest, they all have eternal significance and impact. We must be aware of how we invest our finances, how we invest our wealth, from a kingdom perspective. And if we don't know how to do that, which often I feel like I don't know how to do that well, I encourage us and I think we must cry out to God and say, God, I need your wisdom. I don't know how to do this. But I do want to learn what it looks like to invest from a kingdom perspective. Using the words that are here, um, remember that tainted wealth is dangerous. And I'll just say this, tainted wealth is dangerous and can be just or more addictive than Jennifer's addiction that she was battling with. Did you hear me on that? Tainted wealth, where that which we have controls us and is is the driver and decisions we make and those kinds of things, is dangerous and can be just or more as addictive than Jennifer's addiction that she was battling. You remember what was tattooed on her arm? Facilis... Descensus Averno, which translated means the descent into hell is easy. And likewise, brothers and sisters, investment around our earthly wealth is one of those challenges that we have. And I'm not here to make you feel guilty about what you have. I'm just saying this is one of those places we have to take stock and say, God, would you show us your kingdom way of managing, handling, and sharing our wealth And particularly, our financial investment, being able to do it in ways that build the kingdom. I'd like to close with a short reading from Jonathan Kahn in his book, uh, the the Book of Mysteries. Uh, It's kind of a collection of lessons that a student is learning from his teacher or rabbi. And this one is called the Celestial Currency Exchange. Listen with me. We were sitting in his study when the teacher got up from his desk, went over to one of his cabinets, opened a drawer, pulled out a container the size of a shoebox, placed it on the desk, and asked me to open it. Go ahead, said the teacher. Take them out. Look at them. So I did. The box was filled with paper currency of many nations. Souvenirs, he said, of my travel in the nations. It probably surprises you, but I haven't always been here. He paused for a moment while I put the paper, the paper bill I was examining back in the box. If you travel to a different nation, or if you travel to different nations, he said, you have to convert the currency of the place you're leaving into the currency of your destination. Now, what if you were going to a place from which you would never return? And what if in that place your native currency was of no value? 
And what if it was impossible to transport anything from your native land to that place? What would you do? Convert everything I had into the currency of my destination because anything not converted would be lost. And where would you do all that converting? I'd have to do it in my native land before I left on the journey. Yes, said the teacher. And this is why currency conversion is critical for the children of the kingdom. You see, we're all going on a journey. We're all leaving the land of our origin for another realm. And the currency of the earth, of all we possess on earth, is of no value there. And we can't bring any of it with us. And so whatever earthly currency we hold on to, we lose. But who are the wise? They are the ones who in the days before the journey make the exchange. They convert their earthly currency into heavenly currency. How, I asked, how how do you make the exchange? You give your earthly currency, what you possess in this world, to the purposes of heaven, to the kingdom. And you do so without getting any earthly return. And since no one knows the exact time of their departure, you make the most of your time and convert as much as you can into the heavenly currency. For it is only wisdom, said the teacher, to exchange exchange that which you can never keep to obtain that which you can never lose. Just reading that again. For it is only wisdom, said the teacher, to exchange that which you can never keep to obtain that which you can never lose. And at the the end of each one of those uh, readings, there is a mission, an invitation. And that mission for this particular day was up on the screen. Today, start your heavenly currency exchange. Give of your time, your energy, your wealth, and your love to the purposes of heaven. I invite you just to pause for a few seconds with that in front of us, and then I want to lead us in a prayer. Lord, this morning we confess, and uh, I, chief among all of these persons, confess our struggle to understand how we go about doing this and also our struggle with the reality of living in this world and seeking to live with kingdom priorities. And then on top of that, our challenge, Lord, to do that, especially in the area of our wealth and finances. Lord, we want to be wise. We want to be good stewards of what you've given us. And we particularly want to to be able to be with all that we have in the area of wealth and finances to use that, to translate that, to transfer that, to convert that into currency that is kingdom currency. So today we simply ask a simple prayer. Lord, teach us, instruct us, and show us the way. And give us the heart to obey whatever you speak to us. For your glory, for your honor, that your kingdom might come and your will might be done here on this earth, even as it is in heaven. In the strong name of Jesus we pray. Amen.